Welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations on Predators in Business, Community, and Culture, a podcast exploring the real-life stories of predatory patterns in our everyday lives, with episodes ranging from well-meaning white people to CPTSD and high achievers' anxiety in a world that has a fetish for peak performance. My name is Guru Nishan. I'm a disruptor of cultural indoctrination and actively support the dismantling of false identity by curating uncomfortable conversations on taboo topics hiding in plain sight. I stand committed to breaking codes of silence, shame, and secrecy in our own families, communities, companies, and cultures, but mostly within our own bodies. This podcast, by its very nature, is one big-ass trigger warning. Today's guest is Vandy Crane, mother, author, matrix disruptor, and founder and director of the Rise and Love Foundation. Chante Washte Washagiawi is Lakota for good, strong-hearted woman. Also known as Vandy Crane, was raised by her maternal Osage Nation grandmother, Eleanor Grace Crane, a World War II Army veteran nurse and artist in ancestral Seminole Territory of Central Florida. As a child survivor of familial trafficking, she became a CSET survivor leader, which is child sexual exploitation and trafficking survivor leader, helping others in similar situations. In 2008, when Vandy had reached the pinnacle of her trauma and alcohol addiction, she incurred three traumatic brain injuries within one year and could no longer function professionally or academically. With nowhere to go and nothing that could be done, she remembered the indigenous wisdom that her grandmother had raised her with and began fulfilling her childhood commitments and experiencing a depth of healing and wisdom that she found immeasurable. Vandy walked away from her career as a mental health clinician in pursuit of her dreams of supporting women and coming together to heal through culture, connection, and conversation by following her own personal path of the worldwide phenomenon known as rematriation. It's truly an honor to have you on the podcast here today. Thank you so much, Vandy. Hey, it's good to be here, Guru Nishan. Thank you so much for having me on here again. It's always a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. Well, our last conversation together, and we met through the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community, and that was specifically focused on that. But I, I have to say that one of the things that really moved me about meeting you and witnessing your story um, is really just the, the depth and the gravity and the weight of of, of white supremacy and the impact on indigenous nations and being able to hear a glimpse of your writing uh, really helped me through that, that process of, of, of exposure in, in 3HO. It gave me a, a much larger perspective beyond this little microcosm of the community that I had come from to really the impact um, that it has happened on, on your people and many nations of people. And um, I'm wondering if you can uh, that's why I invited you here because talking about predators in business community and culture is much bigger than talking about the microcosm of 3HO community. And your story really lends to that and speaks to that and also has such transformation within that. Well, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate those kind words. And um, just that's it's impactful to hear the effect the work has on other people. So thank you uh, for your feedback. That's invaluable. Um, so I always like to preface, you know, anything I talk about having to do with white supremacy or 
uh, colonial violence with the fact that I know as someone with mixed ancestry that's white passing, I have certain privileges that my full blood relatives do not have. Um, and I've been guilty myself of um, benefiting from those privileges. And until I spent more time in areas where systemic racism is much more prevalent in the United States, say like South Dakota or Wyoming, where hate crimes are still a regular thing in broad daylight in regular business establishments. Um, <clears throat> I didn't fully understand the levity of it, you know, how, how heavy it is for our relatives and how, how much um, they still face on a day-to-day -day basis. So I myself had to learn to act as a shield and to leverage my privilege for my relatives that are even more targeted than I have been um, and recognizing those, you know, this, those um, inequalities, even, even being someone who grew, grew up um, experiencing hate crimes and trafficking, I still have certain privileges. Um, mm. So I always like to preface with that when I um, open up with discussions like this, that I know um, it's, it, it is worse. Thank you. So absolutely. With that said, um, you know, that it's just such a broad, cool, a broad experience. And I've experienced it everywhere from, you know, um, industrial nonprofit complex, uh, to working in hospitals, medical racism. Um, so I, I don't know exactly where to begin with the experiences. So if you want to kind of lead the way with some questions, I'd be grateful yeah, for that. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pause on that. I, I guess I really want to go into uh, um, some of your personal experience um, younger. And, and the reason I say that is when we think about predatory patterns or, or, or predators, um, what I've experienced in my own brain is kind of these um, real simplified narratives around like, um, oh, trafficking means you get snatched and pulled into a, a van and then you get taken to some place and it's like a, a form of kidnapping. And while that yeah. is the case, you know, to really hear when I heard a real human story of what it means to be trafficked, when I read your book, um, and I read the experience, it totally dissolved this false idea of what I thought trafficking was in this simple, simpleton cartoon version in my brain. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if you could go there because to start with talking predators, yeah, we could talk about a bazillion things, but right. what if we could diffuse some of our false concepts around what that looks like and, and you, your life is that absolutely so i guess uh giving some backgrounds of um where i connect my trafficking to it just wasn't something that happened overnight it was generations of trauma and in this country we have an unrecognized holocaust and it's often unrecognized worldwide and that's the genocide of native american native americans and the <clears throat> institutions that we commonly know as boarding schools uh, in the United States or, or residential schools in Canada were actually concentration camps. Schools aren't supposed to have graveyards. Um, those schools had mass graves. 
there's still thousands of bodies being found. Um, ground pen penetrating radar is being dispatched to boarding uh, areas where boarding schools were and residential schools were across Turtle Island every day. There's new requests for inquiries. Um, and uh, Deb Halen, she's taking action at the, the national level for reparations, um, but it, it's still largely unrecognized. And when often when you um, try to have these discussions with the common layperson, there's a lot of <clears throat> cognitive dissonance because of how our history is taught in public schools, essentially, or not even just public schools, all the way up to the collegiate level, unless you are in a specific Indigenous studies program with Indigenous professors. And even at that point, there's still oral history that you're never going to hear in in a classroom anywhere, uh, like uh, how the song Amazing Grace is very triggering um, for mm. full-blood Lakota people that remember the history of their ancestors being butchered uh, in what is now present-day Colorado, uh, Denver, Colorado, while the soldiers sang Amazing Grace. So there's, there's histories that are never gonna be taught out of history books, but that we know from our elders and from sitting and hearing their pain and hearing having these stories passed down through the generations. So I like to lay the groundwork for that because boarding schools, uh, for-profit prisons, the entire capitalist system itself, I see as forms of human trafficking, mm. uh, financial, financial slavery, one way or another sovereignty is a very 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 rare state of being so um, oh. i, I want to pause on on something you you've said before and and I, and I know you can go there is um the collective cultural gaslighting that the things you just spoke to have existed and that it's as if imagine the whole entire world denies the holocaust in germany and yeah. And the erasure, if you could talk more on that, because, again, we have such limited, yes, because of public school, but also the cultural phenomenon of collective gaslighting of, of, of not fully seeing what's what's there and what's Absolutely. been there for so long. Absolutely. And I'll give a very clear example of that, uh, something that was recently very traumatizing for me and I like to think that I'm very well self-regulated that you know uh, when I do have triggers it doesn't shake me too much but this really threw me and I was I was actually surprised by my my visceral response to it and I was in a teacher training and it was supposed to be uh, an anti-racism yoga training like unpacking racism and yoga and through the training uh, the, well, the first thing I noticed was <clears throat> during the introductions, they we were only encouraged to inter introduce ourselves with our pronouns. There was no land acknowledgement or ancestral land acknowledgement or the fact that we're you know we're on stolen land. Nothing of that was mentioned. So that was my first you know this doesn't sit well with me. Uh, like it's cool to. Like I totally respect acknowledging other people's pronouns. Why can't we respect that we're 
in the midst of an ongoing Holocaust in some way, shape or form. So that was the first, oh, you know, I don't know about this training thing. And then as we progressed through the training, the erasure became more and more prevalent as they were going through a timeline of history of the United States and civil rights milestones and, you know, things of that nature, not a single Native American historical fact was listed on that timeline. It was just KKK, Black Civil Rights Movement, Martin Luther King, you know, this and that, the, the complete erasure. And so I started mentioning um, that some of that was triggering and bringing up historical parallels um, in our Native American history like the beginning of um, the American Indian movement, why that was created, that we didn't actually have uh, our rights under the amendment, that our, our culture was illegal up until 1978. We couldn't speak 1978, our language. 1978, people. 1978. And I was born in 1982, to put that in, into context. Um, and that's one of the childhood commitments my grandmother had had me make because she never experienced ceremony. Uh, she was raised in boarding school. She was very colonized. She went into the military. She chose to marry a non-Native as opposed to marrying the Native man she was in love with. Uh, and who knows what that life would have been like, but I know the non-native abuser that she married, it was a horrific uh, experience. And she said that was the one thing she wouldn't have done if she could do things over. I remember that from our childhood conversations, my childhood conversations with her. And the stories of how um, when they were stationed in California and they had their youngest son, he favored her genetics out of all three of their children. He had, you know, the the epilep fold of, of that, his eyes, the same eye color and high cheekbones and darker complexion looked a lot like her. And she tied an eagle feather and, and wrapped him in an Indian blanket and took a picture of him. And she almost got beat to death for that. And she packed up her three kids and her Studebaker and drove from the um, base where they were stationed in California to where her mom lived in Washington, DC. And that was in it had to have been like the mid fifties. I think my uncle was two or three years old. And um, that, that was relatively unheard of for a woman to leave a domestic violence situation, but she did. And um, she eventually went back to the same person being you know, programmed with Catholic boarding school and married in the Catholic church. She couldn't leave her husband and her offender became my mom's offender. And her son's offenders. He sexually abused the women and beat the men and beat the boys. And uh, there was incestual rape. And he was my first offender uh, as a toddler. And that was the setup for the pain that my mother could not kill. Um, and she, like any other um, victim of early childhood abuse um, was in a slew of several other abusive relationships and was raped several other times and 
just had a lot of trauma and looking back at it and after a couple of counseling and psychology degrees, I completely understand everything through the family dynamics. As a child, of course, it didn't lessen the pain or the impact of anything that was happening. Right, right. But uh, essentially that was what led to my mother being susceptible to other predators around in her circle. And one of those predators was a, a pretty affluent businessman in our um, neighborhood. He owned a business in the neighborhood we lived in, and he had been my uncle's best friend since they were in Cub Scouts. And he knew all of our family secrets. And he also worked uh, as a narc for the DEA. And he was one of my main abusers. Um, and there were there were several others, but that was one of the most vicious and systemically abusive and involved the most hate crimes. Yeah, and well said. I mean, I'm, I'm getting all the remembrances of reading your book right now as you're sharing. And I, I thank you for going there. And I encourage listeners to, you know, look in the notes and, and, and read her story because it's about reclaiming our soul from webs and webs of predatory abuse. And what does it mean to reclaim yourself and your soul from systemic multi-layered and dimensional. So uh, saying that, let's go back to what you said about native culture, indigenous practices were illegal to practice until 1978. So your grandmother and how many generations back are we talking that weren't allowed? Can you, can you speak to that for a second? Because (sighs) this is the depth of systemic abuse that shows up in, in what, the, the glimpse of what Vandy just shared about her own story. So I am not the best historian when it comes to these dates or times and after a bunch of head injuries, but just to give you a glimpse of, uh, I want to say it was early 1800s. There was a, I think he was a priest or he worked for the department of war or something in, and it, he was connected somehow to St. Augustine, Florida. There is a mm. prison that Geronimo was kept there. And that was where the entire uh, vision for boarding schools was created from there. I have a, an Osage sister that lives down there that goes there frequently. So, so listeners, I want you to hear this, right? It's like, we're, 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 we're talking about back in the 1800s and then earlier from that, right? There's all these histories and experience stories that we don't have the, the background to, but that, that built the, the foundation, or like you just said, the vision of generational erasure, generational uh, extraction, generational um, predatory institutionalized abuse. And then, Vandy's a child that is a 1982 child. So think about how many generations from 1982, from 1800s to 1982 alone. This is heavy systemic predatory abuse. And to unpack that takes time and it takes attention. It takes willingness to really look at the historical element of this and not just the surface layers of what Vandy went through. And now I want to bring it present. What you spoke to about 
this businessman, you know, he's an influential person. He knows the family secrets. It's been around. This is what predatory patterns look like in our everyday lives. They're within our familial, comfortable networks and systems. They're not the stranger off the street. That's right. Nine times out of 10 or some statistic like that. It's more likely someone we know that we trust very well that we give access to our lives. And there's a heavy shame component with that, you know, because then we want to blame ourselves for trusting. And, you know, there's that deep disconnection from our intuition that comes from, you know, that early systemic childhood abuse. So it's, it's all connected. Um, And reclaiming it all and calling it all out. It's, you can't separate one from the other. And in my experience, at least. Yeah, I I can't agree more with that. Um, You also mentioned he was DA. Uh, So it's like looking at the the structures, the institutions that are supposed to be legitimized, calling them schools instead of concentration camps, right? Call, you know, the, the language that's used to legitimize Yes. And he made it very clear as a law enforcement agent that he knew that there would be absolutely no repercussions whatsoever for what he was doing to me, that he could do anything he wanted to me because we're dirty Indians um, that were essentially, I learned later, there's an old federal code, I believe it might be under the IRA Act, Indian Reorganization Act of 1934 possibly, don't quote me on that, or it could be under an old BIA federal code, uh, but Native people that are victims in uh, murders are considered NHI, and that status stands for non-humans involved. I've also read um, material from the Black Panthers that they're also identified uh, or classified as NHI. Um, So again, I don't know exactly what old archaic federal code it falls under, but present day law enforcement know about it. And I mean, that's prevalent if you hear about, I think they're called starlight tours in Canada. pretty common for entertainment law enforcement officers will pick up indigenous people intoxicated or not and take them out into the middle of nowhere and beat them or leave them to freeze to death or take their shoes or you know just um basically torture them with zero to little consequences the frameworks that you're placing here is is that if on a federal level, if on a governmental level, if on an institutional level, there are people that are classified as not human, and then therefore the interaction in a daily life can be discardable, can be, right, you could do anything you want to this person, to their land, to their things, to their, to anything, because on institutional historical documents are these things, whether we can quote them specifically or not, if the research is done, these are federal documents because all of the boarding school, uh, the institutional hall camps, this is our history, folks. Like this is in our history. We, it, it might not be presented to us, but it's very much in documented form is what I'm Absolutely. Uh, with the federal government and the church, I mean, the doctrine of discovery and there was another, uh, the palpable bulls, the Popple Bulls 
outline anyone as having basically melatonin as being enemy of, of Christ. Anyone with darker melatonin, more melatonin in their skin was considered an enemy of Christ. And that was the justification the church needed to steal lands from indigenous nations around the world. And it's all still so much in play. It's just, as you said, it's erased. It's just pretended to not be in sight because the population has been dumbed down enough to not even know it exists in some weird way. Right. Exactly. Hearing this brings up a a level of, um, of anger inside that having that be your lived experience and ha- be your relatives and family relations and to be speaking to this, the, the common day gaslighting and cognitive dissonance around this stuff has got to be just beyond because I feel very uneducated in all of these things and I want to be. It can be very infuriating. Uh, we have someone in the village where we live and they're from Spain and I'm sure you know the his, some of the history of New Mexico that the Spanish were the first to you know be, to colonize here and um, it was a little bit different style of colonization but it was still very violent um, and this person was visiting for tea at my house and turned to me and said so explain this to me when the white people first came here what was it like they just saw you natives doing all these horrible things to your children and uh like raping each other and hurting each other and they taught you it wasn't good and uh, what i almost lost my shit <laughs> um that was the biggest test of my patience in a long Who time and um and to you know have that that history of colonization behind you and be in the territory where so much violence was committed under your flag, uh, and to be so ignorant was just I felt pity for her um, because that's what we're taught to do. We're taught we're not taught to carry resentment towards the people that harm us. We're taught that we're supposed to pray for you guys and to teach you guys and to have patience and compassion uh, and to not want revenge. Um, we just want to be seen and heard. Uh, and that's what I want for my relatives, you know, that face even more hardships than I do. And, you know, that's essentially um, what the work of the Rise and Love Foundation has evolved into as a platform for matriarchs and essentially as something to gift to my daughter as a legacy of, of sacrifice from my life. And um, so, yeah, it does, it does get tiring and it's taken... 10 years of working tirelessly without pay to finally have a small group of people at least understand the importance of rematriation and why the voices of Indigenous women are so vital. Will you tell us more about rematriation and how this, um, how the philosophy as shift has helped your own healing, but also how it's showing up in your life today. Absolutely. Uh, so as you mentioned in the bio, it's, it's a global phenomenon. It's nothing that one person is taking credit for. And that is part of matriarchal society. It's, it's about the people. It's about what's best for everyone. It's not about achievement or ownership or possession or gain, 
Um, it's about equality and prosperity. <clears throat> it's uh, reclaiming the things that never should have been taken in the first place. It's rather than repatriation and waiting for things to be returned, it's taking it back unapologetically. It yes. is incredibly difficult in our communities because so many of our relatives are so colonized, especially our men uh, are so conditioned to porn culture and colonial violence and rape culture. Uh, our ceremonial spaces have been weaponized against us. Our men have been weaponized against us. Our governments, our tribal governments weaponized against us. Um, even elders to a certain point, uh, olders <laughs> weaponized, um, you know, and then there's the, the children that are lost from the violence and they're weaponized against us with gang violence. It just I, to uh, maintain traditional values and be an indigenous woman in this world is one of the most dangerous choices you can make because we're the most hunted and least seen. Um, but I have hope. Uh, I, I realized in my life that I had to turn around and start hunting what was hunting me. And then I realized I don't want to just be the only one out here doing this work. I want to make the skills and the knowledge that I have available to any Indigenous survivor that wants that skill set and knowledge uh, so they can do the same work in their communities. Um, because right now, the only choice is, if there is the choice, is victim services. And that continues to perpetuate the victim mentality, uh, the helplessness, the learned helplessness, mm. and the opportunity for predators to continue to do what they do best, and that's predate. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've had intellectual property stolen as a survivor leader, working under someone with a higher level of education. Um, eventually I just got tired of being humiliated and exploited even on a professional level. So, um, at the cost of being ridiculed by colleagues, laughed out of rooms by business coaches who, you know, aren't even, but uh, may they rest in peace. They're not even alive to see that I've saw this vision through, um, but essentially infiltrating the federal government and next is for-profit prisons and, shifting victim services from victim services to survivor leader mentorship. Um, we're starting with indigenous communities and putting indigenous women back in their rightful place, which is to be leaders. Indigenous women have always been leaders. And the fact that we're one of the least respected and least heard in our communities shows this, how this sickness, this colonial sickness has poisoned the thinking of our people. Um, so it's, it's a huge fight for women, um, indigenous women. It really is. I, I see sisters every day going through ridicule, standing up in their communities, but all we can do is make each other stronger and give each other resources and foundations and platforms to keep doing this work, because this isn't just one generation. This is generations and generations of work. And we're taught to view things through a seven generation lens. And that's that whatever decision we make today from what we eat to how we take care of our trash to how we use our resources and even just our breath, uh, how that's going to affect our descendants, our grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren 300 years down the line. 
Um, and with the disposable culture that we have today, the, you know, the level of plastics used everywhere in the community, how it's just dumped into the environment, we're not gonna have an environment in 300 years the way we're going. Um, so yeah, we're just uh, trying to figure out how to get out of this so at least our grandchildren's grandchildren can be alive to enjoy it. You know, um, none of us get out of this alive, but you know, how, how do we make it sustainable and safe? And that's the work. So how do we keep it going on generation to generation? So that's, that's what the rise and love foundation is. And that's why I started that. There, there's so much mic drop. That's what I want to say on all that. Um, <laughs> going back to you, the level of systemic predatory abuse, the layers, the the recolonization, the the weaponization of of your men, of your own rituals to 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 barely get those back, and then to have that those things reinfiltrated within your own communities through a colonizer's lens, um, it's so mushed, right? It's it's so much trauma, mushed and trauma, mushed and trauma, and it's so brilliant what you're speaking to because you talked about hunting what has been hunting you, right? And, and re-putting the leaders that have always been the leaders right back, right? And it's, it's, remember, it's a form of what I'm hearing, remembering. And yes, absolutely. The apex predator, everything you just said, I, folks, I hope you go back and listen to that because that was just, it was so potent. Every level that you talked about, the, the places you go seek help, re-abuse you, whether it's in academia or whether, right? And it's just, oh, when this, then there's so much predatory patterns everywhere, we have to go inward and remember that this, this wisdom has always been right here for us. Vandy, you have a voice that is so brilliant. It is so powerful. It's so, so full of love. Your work is so full of love. And it's, it's speaking to the complexity, the multi-layered, not so black and white, this or that complexity of what happens when we're being infiltrated from the inside out and all around. That's right. Um, you have a daughter and yes. you can speak really specifically to how this is showing up in next generations. And so I really love what you're saying in terms of speaking the seven generations and, and that impact. Do you want to speak to anything specifically of what's happening in your work now that the Love and Rise Foundation, Rise and Love Foundation is doing or that you and your family are doing um, specifically in wrapping us up? I, you know, I don't want to speak too much on my daughter's story because that's their story, but I can't say uh, that I could be any more proud of them for, I mean, voicing that they don't want to repeat cycles of generational trauma and, you know, putting in the work to do that and the bravery that they're, you know, moving through that with is just, it's inspiring. And um, I tell them every day that they're the medicine this world needs right now. And they're the most emotionally intelligent person I know, even out of all the adults I know, they're by far the most emotionally intelligent. And we were listening to an astrology uh, breakdown, really good two and a half hour podcast uh really breaking down what we're going through right now and that's exactly what they said is the medicine the world needs right now is emotional intelligence and i rewound that like 
four times for them to hear because that's what they're doing. Um, so that's, I think, my proudest work. No matter what I accomplish in this life, um, it's the best thing I've come to do isn't what I've done, it's who I'm getting to raise because that's gonna keep going on. Tell us about the Love and Rise, uh, Rise and Love Foundation where uh, listeners can get in touch with you and if they wanna make a donation and support your work. Awesome, okay, Rise and Love Foundation. .org is our website. Uh, there is a donation page. We did just sign on to a fiscal sponsor. The page has not been updated yet. So that still needs to happen. You're welcome to donate before that happens. It won't be tax deductible. It's still set up just to go to our cash app. Um, but if you want to wait or email, uh, Vandy at riseandlovefoundation.org is how you can get in touch with us. Um, and yeah, we have um, the rematriation station on YouTube. We'll be putting up some more content soon. And that's about it. We have some exciting announcements coming up in 2023. So stay tuned, sign up for our newsletter. Yep, follow Rise and Love Foundation. Uh, the link is in the show notes and get her book, Bandy Crane's book, My Body, My Soul, One Woman's Journey to Reclaim Both. Thank you, Vandy. I really appreciate this. And listeners, thank you for uh, listening. This has been another episode of Uncomfortable Conversations on Predators in Business, Community, and Culture. If you need support beyond this listening space, you can connect with me at gurunishan.com. I'm a writer, speaker, and trauma healing activist offering free and paid resources, online courses, and consulting in personal and professional reinvention. If you'd like to be a guest and share your story, please email me at gn at gurunishan.com or check the show notes for details. Please also like, subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with someone that you love. Please remember your listening and sharing support is greatly appreciated. The information presented in this podcast are for general educational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed are solely the views of the individuals involved. By listening, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Nothing in this podcast is intended to replace the services of a trained therapist, doctor, or health professional, or otherwise to substitute for professional mental health, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Guru Nishan LLC and affiliate organizations shall, under no circumstances, be liable to any listener of the podcast or viewer for any action or inaction on your part as a result of the content you consume on this podcast or for any adverse reaction, including any emotional distress you experience as a result of consuming this podcast. 